Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How'd her career get there? This is a podcast with Lauren Asgari. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Jennifer Young, who is a technology consultant, entrepreneur, uh, whiskey enthusiast, amongst other things. And we'll get to all that. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me this morning, Lauren. Absolutely. Um, so let's jump right into it. Let's start. We're going to get to, well, let's start present day, actually. So give a, a quick overview about what you do. Well, that depends upon what day of the week, what hour of the day. Um, my, uh, I jokingly call my day job, my main job, I am a management and technology consultant. I've been doing this for my entire career. I have my own consulting company, and uh, quite simply, we've worked with uh, companies, nonprofits, government agencies to improve their business uh, operations using technology. That's really what we do. But I also love to dabble in other things. So I also have a uh, event design business. I run a whiskey tasting club. And I guess the latest venture is we are in the process of starting a distillery here in uh, Carroll County. I love that. And we are going to spend some time on that later because I, I find all the things that you do super interesting. So, um, so we're going to come back to that. Let's go, let's go backwards a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, you as a little kid, like where did you grow up? Only child. Uh, what were your parents like? There's some background context. Sure. Uh, I I always tell people the short answer to the question of where are you from is New York, and some people leave it at there, and others start asking, "Oh, the city? Oh, upstate?" That lends to a longer answer. I was born upstate New York, moved around a lot when I was growing up. Went to high school right outside Poughkeepsie, New York. Spent almost every weekend in New York City. My parents have another place in New York City. So uh, the short answer is I'm from New York because that's where I uh, go home to visit my family. So now I'm going to throw you a little bit of a, a quick curveball. Uh, preference, the city or outside of the city? <laughs> I would say in my youth, definitely, definitely the city. Oh, yes. I couldn't wait to go down there every weekend. I was so bored uh, upstate. My parents used to say that was on purpose. So there was less to get in trouble, right? Less to do to get in trouble. Yeah, they're kind of right about that one. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've definitely appreciated the uh, being outside the city a little bit, just the beauty of, the na of nature around you and just uh, a more relaxed atmosphere. And we just went up uh, in October to, uh, to visit. And that's when the leaves were changing colors. And we went hiking and saw these beautiful lakes and just kind of took in that atmosphere. It's, it's gorgeous. So I would say now I'm about 50-50. Back then, more like 90% city. I prefer 10% not city. It is beautiful. New York is a beautiful state. So many scenic parks. Yes, it, it um, is. All right, so so take us back. So I, I got us uh, I got us off course there. So I was, I was curious <laughs> about that. But but talk to us about uh, you as a little girl. Sure, um, I do have one younger brother. He is four and a half year, years younger than I am, and uh, he is uh, was when I was younger. I thought he was a little bit of a pest, um, but as we gotten older, we definitely become very very close. He lives in Austin, Texas, with his family. Uh, but me as a kid, I guess you could say I was a bit of a rule follower. 
uh, a very studious young uh, young lady. My parents probably thought I should be a little bit more studious. I thought I was very studious. I think my mom and dad would peg me as, I wish you were a little bit more studious. Uh, I was one of those who was very active in school, was involved in every single club and community uh, youth groups or whatever else it might be. So I was definitely uh, a busybody in uh, when I was younger. Uh, sports was one thing I did not really dabble much back then. Um, my mom and dad would say is that my mom would tell me, she would say, if I saw a glimmer of talent, any sort of sporting thing, we would have put you in into that. But we did it. <laughs> so we put you over here with music and studying and <laughs> your like strengths are elsewhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I learned at a young age to understand what your strengths are and what, where they might not be. <laughs> what would, what would you say are either, either individually from your parents or collectively uh, lessons that you learned as a kid that very much impact or carry through to who you are today? I would say working hard, not giving up. Those were definitely two uh, two pieces of my childhood where my parents were always kind of just pushing us and pushing us and encouraging us as well, and telling us that uh, you can you can achieve as much as you want to achieve. And sometimes their sights were set a little higher than ours, or we did not really notice our own potential for things. Um, but definitely perseverance and working hard. I do reflect when I was a kid, I played the piano. And my mom made me practice every day for an hour. There are some days I didn't want to practice. My friends were outside waiting for me to play. Um, my mom made me every single day, and I hated it sometimes. Of course, fast forward several years, I realized the life lessons my parents were trying to teach me about prioritizing, about realizing work hard, work, work hard now. You can play later. Um, don't cut yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. Don't give up when things are tough. And those were life lessons that I didn't appreciate until a little bit later in life. Mm -hmm. And and how much, because you, I'm going to, well, let me ask this question first. What did you want, I'm air quoting as I say this, what did you want to be as you grew up when you were a kid? Did you have your sights set on something? I bounced around a little bit. Um, At one point, I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. At one point, I wanted to be uh, this big-time surgeon. Uh, at one point, I thought I'd be like CEO of some major Fortune 50 company. So I bounced around a little bit. And do you? Uh, this, I, I think that your story, in terms of the parents pushing you, is is common uh, for a lot of people. Do you like during looking back on it? As you said, you probably look back and say, "Oh, great! Like I understand now." as an adult, while that, why, why that mattered so much. Um, were you naturally good in school? Did you naturally, cause you went to MIT, which is needless to say no <laughs> slouch of a college. Um, so were you naturally good in school? Was that hard for you? Was it, do you feel like the academic world was where your natural kind of talents lied and your parents just further enhanced that? Or was that really a struggle for you, but you felt like you kind of didn't have an option just because of your child, how you were raised? Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, I school was not difficult for me um, as a elementary, middle school, high school. It was not super, very, very difficult. So I was very fortunate in that. 
Um, but my dad is very math and science. My dad came to this country to get his doctorate. My mom was very liberal arts. She was very creative. She studied business. So you could say I kind of got the best of both worlds in my life. And having uh, parents who are very big on education, having my dad who's big in science and math, uh, we were kind of were taught some things early on. And my parents saw that we grasped it and kept adding on, adding on, adding on. So I kind of had some enrichment at home in terms of advancing um, our academics and everything. Uh, so it wasn't super challenging in that sense, but I also had, I said, built-in uh, tutors or, or coaches at home. Uh, my mom would say that when I was a kid, they didn't think I'd be very good at math. Uh, my mom is not like the most math-oriented person either, so she would she thought maybe I'd be more, more like her than like my dad. Uh, when I was five years old, my parents were a little concerned because apparently I couldn't count past number uh, the number 15. And they were really concerned I couldn't cast to count past 15 and thought maybe I would not be very math-oriented at all. Um, they were wrong, and I did fine in math, uh, but they, they looked for our strengths, mm-hmm. and they did guide us certain ways. Uh, they wouldn't force us to do something if it didn't come naturally or we wouldn't succeed. Mm-hmm. So I think because they saw my brother and myself this propensity for studying for academics, they shepherded us that way, encouraged us to take many opportunities in that path. And so let's fast forward. So you go to MIT and you study what there? Mm -hmm. So this was my phase of, I'm going to become this doctor. So I uh, studied biology. I was a biology undergrad, economics minor, pre-med, ready to go until I realized I don't think I really want to be a doctor. <laughs> the, the story that I always tell is that um, my freshman year, people used to tell me, if you want to be a doctor, you got to have this passion, this, this passion. That's what will drive you to even endure uh, going through four years of school, pre-med, to the MCATs, med school, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought as a freshman, I have this passion. I, I got this. And then I watched the upperclassmen and I realized their passion for the field. And I realized I don't have that. <laughs> so I switched courses a little bit. I stayed as a biology major, um, but decided that perhaps med school is not for me. And I also realized I'm a little squeamish looking at blood and stuff. So I probably not a good field for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you graduate and you go uh, where? Like what's your, what's your first job? Graduated, uh, moved right down to the D.C. area, and uh, first job was with a management consulting company, a large management IT consulting firm that had an international presence. And I thought, I'll come down, work two years. You know, back then, we traveled a lot for our projects, so be a road warrior. And then go back to grad school, move back to New York. Well, you know, 20 some odd years later, I am still in the area, have not left and moved back to New York. <laughs> and then, so you're, so you're working there and then mm-hmm. take us through, um, take us through like your twenties, just like a progression, sure. career progression, and then ultimately how you got to starting your own business, technology okay. consulting company. Sure. Uh, when I was in college, if those of us who decide not to go into medicine or academia or further our science background, investment banking and consulting were very popular fields to go into. 
um, very to look for very analytical people to come and, and join. So I hop on that bandwagon and I went to consulting. My parents did not understand that I was going to become a consultant because they thought you are 21 years old. How in the world do you know anything to be a consultant? <laughs> um, but I went to that and had a great career, had a very fast track career and uh, was doing work that was already a post MBA level work within a, within a few years of being there. So it was, it was great. Uh, traveled a lot, learned a lot. Um, at that time, my mind was always set on big firms, big firms. That's what we knew. And then as we, as I kind of worked through this company and met other people in other companies, I noticed that there's a, a plethora of small businesses that have some amazing opportunities as well. So a friend of mine um, was working for a small firm in DC. She said, you would love it here. They do all strategy, management consulting. They work in the public sector, which I have a bit of a passion for. Come join us. 80-person company. So I'm going from this massive international company to an 80-person company in DC. I went and loved it. Uh, worked on the White House complex for the first couple of years. Met a lot of amazing people and saw what it was like to be a small business and what it's like to kind of uh, dabble in your own a little bit. And then a couple of years later, I was happy there, but a couple of years later, a colleague of mine was starting his own company. And he approached me and said, uh, I need someone like you, come join me. And I thought to myself, oof, joining a, at that time, it was just him in the mm -hmm. company. I'm like, do I want to take this risk? Do I do it? And I was in my late 20s, uh, wasn't married yet, didn't have any kids or anything, and uh, thought about it, thought about it. And one of my mentors from my first job, he and I talked about it, and he said, what's the worst could happen? He says, just go for it. Just go for it. And I did. So I joined that company, uh, became one of the first couple of employees, and it was an amazing experience. I was there for over 10 years, almost 11 years, helped grow this company to over 100 people, um, a huge presence in the uh, federal consulting market down in DC, uh, managed, taught, managed many projects and was responsible for so many different things. It was such an amazing experience, um, especially someone like me who I didn't think I'd be an entrepreneur. Uh, to have that. And that opened my world up even more so around starting your own. I got a little burnt out in 2016 and thought to myself, I need to take a little step back, a little bit of a break. That's why I started my own company. And uh, now it is wonderful. I pick and choose what projects I want to work on. And I kind of pick and choose when I want to work. And it's been great. Absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Um, not sure if I really want to expand my company and grow that more. I'm still debating, mm -hmm. but uh, it's been it's been nice to have that. I uh, tapped into my experiences from my previous job to kind of bring me here and gave me the courage to do this part of it. It's scary mm -hmm. going on I your want, own. I, I want to stick on that a little bit because I think mm -hmm. that that is um, is probably a debate that a lot of people have with themselves or with yes. their spouses or with their families. Um, would you, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of ask in a couple different, different ways. Um, I guess my first question title is where do you put yourself on a spectrum of risk? Are you risk averse? Are you risk tolerant? 
I am on uh, the extremely far end of risk averse, <laughs> which makes me a horrible entrepreneur in that perspective. But I am very, very risk averse when it comes to professional decisions, fiscal decisions. I'm very risk averse. You should see me in Vegas. I start sweating when I lose 50 bucks, right? So very on that end of it. <laughs> and then would you, so when you started through, take, take, take me through a little bit of the actual tactical, tactical stuff leading up to starting your own or going out on your own. Like somebody's thinking of starting their own business or going out on their own at whatever level you're comfortable sharing. Like, did you have money saved? Did you have a cushion of if this doesn't go right, then I have some, you know, money in the bank or you were married at that time. So your husband had some income. Like what was the, how, what's some practical advice for people that are debating going out on their own and starting the businesses if they are risk averse? Yes. I would say uh, first, I think people have to recognize their own risk level and and be very frank with themselves. And for some people, they kind of shy away. They don't want to admit they're risk averse because it sounds like it's a weakness or something. I love, that you, I love that. I love that. Keep going, yeah. Linda. I love that you just said that. Because it, it's it's not. It, you have to understand your, your own levels. Otherwise, you won't be successful because then you're doing things that's uncomfortable or not natural. So I would say, so someone like me, who I'm very risk averse, I needed security to be able to jump. And it could be financial security. It could be friends supporting you. It could be whatever it is. It's like walking that tightrope. And you know, there's a safety net down there to catch you. And for each person, that safety net could be a different thing. But like walking that tightrope, once you decide to go, go. (laughs) Don't pause. Don't look behind you. Don't look down because you're going to fall. That's what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you do fall, it's okay. So for me, I probably, I didn't do it the way that some of my other friends do it who start their own company. They tend to kind of work their side business as a side thing. Once they have a little bit of income or know what projects are coming, they shift over and make the jump. So for if you're extremely risk averse, that is one way to do it. You're going to burn little hours on at night and weekends and everything. That's the trade-off for not just going right on in. I'd say have a plan for that, a, a gradual transition until you feel more comfortable. And the more confidence you have in it, the, the more comfortable you will feel making that shift. I actually took a four-month sabbatical from my job before I went and started my own company. So I basically went on a four-month unpaid leave of absence from work mm-hmm. <laughs> before I decided to start my own company. So I didn't necessarily save up an, a lot for me during that time. But I did have savings. So for me, I felt like, well, I have enough. I should be okay for a little bit. But it's also, I had friends of mine in the industry who were encouraging me. And they said, Jen, if you go on your own, we have projects we can get hand your way. Don't worry. We've got you. We've got you. Okay. You got me. You're going right. to catch me, right? You're going to catch me. And I said, I'm going to go for it. it. And for me, it's because I was so burnt out and so not happy. I needed a change. If I stayed in my old job, I knew I wouldn't perform my best because I was burnt out mm-hmm. and I was a little disenchanted. And so if I'm not going to be able to give my best performance, then I don't know if it's, if I should stay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think definitely a plan is nice and, and depends upon your risk level and how you, where you feel comfortable. 
um, knowing that it will take off. What do you think? I'm going to, I'm going to get to the other uh, businesses that you have or, or areas of interest. Um, but what do you think for an entrepreneur are, what are important traits? Uh, aside from uh, not being uh, risk averse, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say this, the, the risk factor is I think entrepreneurs will have a spectrum of, of risk tolerance and it, it's okay. I think I'm an example of you can be very risk averse and still put your toe into being an entrepreneur. But I think the one big thing though, that kind of goes with that is you have to be, you have to have perseverance, tough skin. And I think the biggest one is you cannot be afraid to fail. And entrepreneurs, you hear that all the time for everyone that made it, there's probably tons that did not make it for every business idea that you have. Most of them probably won't have legs and it's okay. And that's really hard for me because growing up, we weren't, we weren't raised to view, oh, it's okay if you fail. So that took a little bit for me that landed to my risk adversity. Mm -hmm. So, cause I was afraid to fail. Therefore my risk level, I always kind of picked the less risky path. I didn't want to fail. That's very important. I think, um, just perseverance and okay with failing and shifting and changing. It's okay. It's part of the game. It's part of the business. How comfortable are you with, even if it was a learned behavior, how comfortable are you now with failure versus Jen 15 years ago? <laughs> I am much better with it now. It's still, it's still hard for me to kind of swallow. And I, I had to remind myself, it's okay. It's okay. And sometimes it's not full out failure. Sometimes it might be the original idea you have. It's not going to pan out. So you got to shift the plan, shift with it, and then move forward. That's okay. It is okay. But I, I will admit, though, I have a very strong safety net uh, of network of friends and supporters that has helped me uh, be more okay with failing and falling and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, we also have to understand if it doesn't work out, if you do fail, it's not a reflection of you as a person or as a business person or anything like that. We have to take ego aside as well and not internalize that or be ashamed of it or anything. It's okay. Gosh, where's the badge of honor? I mean, entrepreneurs, they could probably swap things that didn't work, work out for me stories all the time. <laughs> you almost are not an entrepreneur unless you have a few bumps and bruises and scrapes, right? Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not really in the club unless you got some uh, scars. Right. So, well, yeah. I love the whole idea of it expanding your, um, you or just anybody, but expanding your, you know, the more that you get used, it's like anything, the more that you get used to it or you experience it, you grow your comfort zone, right? So yes. now it becomes a wider view of how you view failure, which I think is right. valuable because then you can apply that all over life, not just in business. Um, so, so, so let's talk a little bit about your, so technology consulting business, event design and whiskey. Let's shift to event design and whiskey. How do you get to those businesses? Oh, I think, I think we froze for a second. Can you repeat oh. the question? Yep. Sure thing. Sure thing. Let's shift from technology consulting to event design and whiskey. How Ooh. do you, how do you get to those? Uh, how do you get to those businesses? Cause any, anybody from the outside looking in, those are pre three pretty distinct areas mm -hmm. of interest. Mm-hmm. They, they do kind of connect a little bit, you know, with the consulting work. We do a lot of uh, marketing events. We do networking events. And then 
wine and whiskey and food always seem to be a common thread, a lot of networking events. But uh, I've always, I love to cook. I love to be creative. And I used to have outlets for that. And that is something that I often tell people, you know, if you are in a job and you have other interests, you're not sure if you want to actually start a business, find, just find another outlet for it. And then at least use that as a passion, a passion outlet. Uh, I used to work for the nonprofit, design all their events. For about 12 years, I did that and just really enjoyed it. And my old boss used to tease about how if I ever left his company, it'd probably be to start an event design business. And he's sort of right, actually. Um, but I love planning parties. I love hosting parties. I love uh, having an outlet for creativity. And that kind of balances me out a little bit. So having it, a, we started out with a tasting club. And that turned into an event design business because people were asking me to design uh, tasting events for them, or just any sort of themed event, and uh, turn a just a typical summer barbecue into a more fun event. Uh, one year, a friend of mine who does a summer barbecue, uh, we had it in June, and that year was around the summer solstice. So we actually had a summer solstice themed event. So mm-hmm. every food item was tied to some story about uh, summer solstice whether it be a Wiccan tradition or a, a Scandinavian tradition or whatever it was, we researched the heck out of the topic and every food item, every cocktail we designed uh, fit that theme. Everybody loved it. Everybody really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and that um, was something I could do on the side for fun. And within that, whiskey was a, a common item that we would have tasting events around. And so we kind of spun off a little whiskey tasting club that focus only on whiskey tasting and whiskey education. And that has been a lot of fun too. Um, so it's, it's an opportunity for me to geek out a little bit and study more on a topic that I really love. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So, so let's, let's continue down the path of the, um, of whiskey, because mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting part. You know, a lot of people that I, that I talk with on this podcast, we kind of talk about they're somewhere now and we're talking about, how they got to where they are. I think the whiskey thing is interesting because you're in the earlier stages of that project. Is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you you talk a little bit around what inspired you to start like that business? What is that business and what's your vision for it? Sure. So as my whiskey tasting club, I was able to kind of geek out on things and everything. It's called Whiskey Labs. Um, kind of tap into my science uh, nerdness and everything. And uh, every whiskey tasting was kind of a science experiment and, uh, and stuff. But taking that idea, after a few years of that, I thought to myself, gee, it'd be kind of cool if I could you know, make my own one day. And that was like a pipe dream. Like, yeah, like, you know, consulting work is doing great. I, what do I know about opening up a distillery? And when did you know, fast forward a few years, we're opening a distillery <laughs> if everything goes well. Sure. And uh, it's just taking that passion and channeling it even further and further and further. And that is something that we are looking to do here in Westminster, Maryland. Is uh, It's called Covalent Spirits. It's going to be a small distillery, tasting room, event space. In a way, it's going to be the culmination, I think, of all my little businesses because we're going to have events there. We're going to design tasting events. We're going to have private events allowed to use our space. I get to play around with the science side. I can find, tell my mom and dad I'm using my biology and chemistry background from MIT. We're going to make some spirits and tinker with that. Um, so it's 
kind of, and of course, there's the business aspect of running a business that my consulting background will now feed into. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all coming together, hopefully. And it's something that I've been very excited about and talking about and talking about about five years now. And my husband just, you know, last year said to me, he goes, why not? Why not? And he was one who finally gave me the push to say, you're running out of excuses. You better go do it. <laughs> and uh, beginning of 2020, I started looking into a little, a little bit more and I've been very fortunate. Things have just kind of fallen into place here in town in terms of the support from the community, finding a location and everything else. So we'll see, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited about this project. Well, I love it. And I love your vision for it. And I think, you know, your event from what I know, right. From just seeing at the, um, at the biz challenge, your, your mm-hmm. presentation and vision for it. And I, I was remember watching it and having this reaction of like, yes, like that is it. Like their <laughs> vision of what that can be just feels so um, like modern, contemporary, on point, like trendy, but in like a very like good way. Like that is, that thank it just you. makes total sense. So I wish you much, thank you. much success with that. Thank you. Thank um, you. I'm going to, I'm going to take the opportunity here to pick your brain on something that might be valuable for our, our audience and maybe taking into consideration your investment banking background and consulting background. If people are looking to start their own business, there's obviously two ways to do it. You can self-fund or you can get funding. What tips do you have or advice do you have for people that are trying to start a business and need funding? They're pitching investors. What type Mm -hmm. of advice would you have? Okay. I would say it a lot of times depends upon the the nature of the business, what type of business it is. From a, a services business, you really don't need that much startup funding. So consulting, for example. Um, is a service business, you want to start your own graphic arts company, you want to start your own cleaning company, those have a lot less overhead and investment needed. Um, I'm a bit, uh, my perspective is I like to keep as much ownership as I can for my businesses, but there's also that trade-off where either you have a, a small percentage of something big or a big percentage of something really, really small. And at some point you kind of make that decision when it's right to bring on investors. I would say try to look to see if you can do it yourself as much as, as much as possible. But if you can't, there are several ways to get investing. But keep in mind, a lot of times when people invest, they're going to want a part of your business. And the amount they give you is based on a valuation of your business. So if you don't have much yet, the valuation won't be as high. And therefore, they might ask for a bigger chunk for not as much, as much money as you might expect. Uh, so like watching, watch Shark Tank. You see how they do it in Shark Tank? That's kind of the way it is for a product business where you um, kind of do evaluation a little bit and see what the threshold is. Um, that's a great example. Like with Shark Tank, these people invest in, they might ask for 15 20%, but they bring with them massive marketing power. So mm-hmm. your business will exponentially grow. So it'll be worth it. So I say with investors, uh, one way is just be aware of, just think about how much ownership you're willing to give up, valuation of your company, your business. Also, what will those investors bring to you? Are they just bringing you money or they, will they be a force multiplier? That will play in how much you're willing to kind of give up. Another avenue actually are SBA loans. So SBA loans, SBA backs loans, and almost every major bank here will uh, look at We'll look at SBA loan applications. And it is a loan, kind of like a mortgage. You got to pay it monthly. Um, 
amount with interest on top of that. But it's one way where you do not have to put up a lot of collateral and you also uh, maintain the ownership for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, and it's, it's backed as in, I, from what I understand SBA loans, that if you, for some reason, your business doesn't succeed and you go under, um, SBA basically will back about 75% of it, I think. So you don't have to owe the whole loan uh, back. So it's a nice cushion for that. Um, so that's another option. Friends and family, some do, some do crowdfunding, mm-hmm. uh, which don't have to give up ownership to some perks. Friends and family rounds. Um, there are some specific IRS rules around who can invest and what their financial background is to invest and all that kind of stuff. So a lot to consider mm-hmm. in terms of financing. That's usually the hardest part for a business is the financing side. So, well, appreciate those, uh, those tips mm-hmm. for people that are considering starting a business. Um, I want to. I want to ask you a couple more, uh, a couple more questions here before we get to rapid fire. Mm-hmm. What What advice would you give uh, young your younger self? So, Jen, fresh fresh out of college, uh, what would you tell yourself, or what do you wish you might have done differently? Mm-hmm. With With the asterisk, whenever I ask this question, I always put the asterisk of like, I understand that every decision you made led you to where you are now, and you learned <laughs> from it. But yeah. that aside. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wished I wasn't so chicken. <laughs> I wish that I was a little bit uh, more risk-taking. I wish I didn't doubt myself and my ability as much. I wish I wasn't so afraid to fail. I think I might have had a little more adventurous 20s in terms of my career path and everything. But as you said, all my decisions then led me to today and uh, led me to the businesswoman I am today. So am I, am I regretting my decisions? No, not at all. But I do wish I explored other options and was not so afraid to look at other things um, and try other experiences. It might have even given me even more to tap into today. And did you have mentors along the way? And, and if so, what were one or two distinct lessons that you learned from them? So one of them, I think I mentioned, is my first job, my manager for my first job. And he was very upset, sad and upset when I decided to leave to go to this 80-person company. And But he and I had stayed in touch, and he was the one I called up before I joined the startup, asking him, should I do it? Should I do it? Oh, my goodness, I'm so scared. And he's the one who told me, what are you scared about? You should do it. You should do it. He said, have confidence in your abilities. Have confidence in your resume. If it doesn't work out, if it fails in six months, a year, you hate it. So what? What's the worst that could happen? You go and you find another job. And so you have to be confident in what your your resume is that you can get another job. And he said, heck, I'll hire you back. You know, he goes, I would totally hire you back. Um, and that's what it is. You have to be confident. And that is something I've learned that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be confident. Now, there are, some of us are probably a little overconfident at times. <laughs> delusional? Don't be delusional. <laughs> a little bit too optimistic or a little too confident. But you have to. You have to. You have to. You have to be your own biggest cheerleader and supporter. And you have to really believe in yourself and doing it. And as I said, that tightrope, you just go right? You don't doubt, you don't wonder, you don't second guess, you just go, you do it and just be confident. But that was a very important lesson 
they are reminded me that, oh yeah, I should be. And that's when I started my own company. I had that in my mind still. I said, I'm starting my own company. I'm hoping I'll get a few contracts. I'm trusting my resume. Worst case scenario, six months to a year, I go get another job, mm-hmm. right? Not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so that has stuck with me ever since. And how do you, my, my last question before I get to, to rapid fire, how do you define success? Ooh. I think my 20-year-old me might have a different definition than 40-something-year-old me. Um, but I like to think I'm a little bit wiser now than I was in my 20s. <laughs> I would say success is being happy, quite frankly, being happy. And for each person, that will mean something different. Some people being a CEO of a major company is being happy. Some people doing public service work all the time, you know, working in Africa is happy. For some people, it's, you know, their family, their kids. That is what fuels them and makes them extremely happy. I think we have to look at that. It is very individualized, I would say. And I'd say, do not compare yourself and your success to other people because we all have a different uh, rubric that we're using to measure our success and our happiness. And you don't know, you, you never know. Someone might be envying your life mm-hmm. and what you have. They wish they had what you have. You know? um, so I think that is something we have to keep in mind that it's uh, life's too short, right? We got to balance our life out. And I understand some people have, um, there's, there's stresses and pressures of, the, of life, mortgage, kids, dog, cars, all that stuff. But there's some things that we have to be practical about, about what we can and can't do. But then I would say, find those pockets that give you that outlet to make you feel happier um, and balance out your life because it really is way too short. And um, you don't want to look back and regret on not taking advantage of certain things or not experiencing certain things. So I'd say being happy. That's love- success. I love everything that you just said there so much. And, you know, it's interesting when people, the comparison piece, it's like no single person is the same. We're not born the same. Our circumstances are not the same. Even if it's a little bit, our mentality is not the same. Just, just when we come into the world. So to compare yourself to somebody else just is, um, is, you know, I think an unfortunate way to go because it's a never winning game, right? Mm-hmm. So versus making your own rules and setting your own uh, design, however you design or architect your life for success. Mm-hmm. So I love exactly. that. Exactly, exactly. Um, what would you say now that you said something else that now I'm curious about? How did that change from when you were 20? Like when you were 20, how did you view it? Do you remember? Oh, in 20, I, I would say I was much more the uh, climb that corporate ladder, get that. CXO position, have, you know, millions and millions of dollars in the bank account kind of thing. That was success. Mm-hmm. It was about, uh, external. stature. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stature and, uh, about what I stuff you have and commodity, all those kind of things and everything. Um, you know, but in your twenties, that's what you see on TV is what you see in, in our, in you know, the social side of everybody else and everything. And, it's not, it's not all it cracks up to be. Mm-hmm. And I have heard so many stories of, of uh, classmates who are extremely successful 
in their careers and have several houses and all this stuff and everything. Um, their kids don't appreciate it. The kids have, have kind of slacked off and don't care or about working hard, studying hard, which gives the parents angst uh, or the relationships between a couple has uh, deteriorated a little bit because they're so busy on their careers. Relationships with their kids are not as, not as good as it could be because they focus too much on other things. So it's about, it's about that balance. And mm-hmm. I think when I was younger, I thought that was success. I wanted the best job, the best everything, the biggest, biggest, biggest. And now, nah, I don't need all that. I don't need all that. I just need enough to sustain my livelihood. And I want to be able to have fun and do the things that make me happy. And who cares what else thinks? Mm-hmm. I love the, you know, the, the overarching theme and a couple of things that you said, but that I think is so true is this, this theme of just being honest with yourself, right? And mm-hmm. you mentioned it earlier when you're talking about being an entrepreneur and being really honest of how risk tolerant are you or, or aren't you? And just being honest with who you are and the same thing carrying through to how you view success yeah. now, like what honestly matters to me and everything else is just, it's mm-hmm. just noise, right? It is. And irrelevant to my life as an individual. Yes. And we can't let other people's judgment, judgment or views of us shake that or impact that. And I, I will say in my 20s, I was, we were more susceptible to that mm-hmm. because we're still young and we're still mm-hmm. growing. We're still figuring who we are mm-hmm. at that time. But in my 40s, I'm kind of like, whatever, <laughs> this is me, <laughs> take it or leave it, right? right, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not pretending for anybody. I don't have the energy to pretend for anybody, whatever. Um, but that's the thing too. We cannot let other people's, we can't be so worried about, oh, what will the person think about this or that? Or, or, you know, if I don't do this, if I act this way or, or I need, I should be this type of person to be an entrepreneur or be a business person or whatever. No, it's, you know, it's not a one size fits all model mm-hmm. and we have to kind of be honest. And I think it's important to be honest with yourself through everything in life not just work, but with your relationships with family and friends. It's, it's when you really know you is when I think you can really kind of blossom and achieve so much more because you, you know what your strengths and weaknesses are and you can kind of fine tune things and adjust accordingly for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm going to get to rapid fire, which is unrelated to anything that we've talked about. Before I do that, is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't covered yet? No, I think. Uh, I think everybody's probably learned a lot about me now. <laughs> I think we're pretty good. <laughs> all right. So let's jump to, all right. So here we go. Uh, Netflix or cable? Netflix. Netflix or Hulu? Ooh, Netflix. Uh, stone or brick? Brick. Grass or sky? Ooh. Sky. Mountains or beach? Oh, that's really hard. Mountains. If you're at the beach, sand or ocean? Oh, ocean. And last one, astronaut or deep sea diver? Deep sea diver. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for for doing this. I really enjoyed talking with you and learning about not only your background, but also all the exciting stuff that you're working on. And again, much success with everything you're doing. Uh, I love growing businesses. Giving Carol in Carroll County and giving Carroll County some some love. So mm-hmm. um, it was great having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
Absolutely. And we will see you all next time on the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How'd her career get there? This is a podcast with Lauren Asgari.